Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Hey, welcome to another edition of the Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo has returned to join us. We had uh, Mike Rosenbaum on as a pinch hitter last week while Jonathan, you were, uh, you escaped. I did. I, I escaped from, from all reality for a while. It was a very nice respite. Uh, I almost submitted my resignation. Figured, figured Rosenbaum might uh, might Wally pit me anyway. So <laughs> we did have a good time. With my, happy to be back. Happy to have you back. Um, so it's kind of crazy to think that we should be watching the futures game this weekend. We should be headed into the All Star break, and here we are. You know, in in this strange summer training and uh season is yet to start but if if uh all had gone according to plan we would be headed into the futures game we would have uh you know and now i think in my mind anyway tied to that is the pdp league and and last year's inaugural high school all-star game that uh was the culmination of that that league and of course, the high school home run derby, which has been going on for several years now. Um, but we we thought we would talk a little bit about guys that we would have been seeing, or, or we would have hopefully been seeing in in this year's futures game uh, in Los Angeles. Had that happened this weekend, you guys have uh, Jim, Jonathan, any particular players that? Uh, you think definitely would have been there and, and would have been sort of the highlight of, of your weekend? The the two I would have looked forward most to seeing, and I think we would have gotten them, would have been Adley Rutschman. I mean, I don't think Baltimore would have had him in the big leagues. Um, I've, I've seen him play before at the College World Series. That would have been fun. Do you guys think, I was thinking about this, like Joey Bart seemed like he was on kind of an express path to San Francisco like, I, would Marco Luciano have been there? I would have loved to see Marco Luciano in the Futures game. Um, th- that might have been the one I would have been looking for uh, more than anybody else. That's a good one. Um, because he's so young and so far away. But I think that would be a good – I could see Joey Bart being in the big leagues, absolutely. You know, he hit the ground running the first part of the season. Um, some of it might have been a need, you know, uh, if they didn't have room for him to catch every day, then that would be a different thing. But, uh, um, 
Yeah, I could totally see that. I think that would be a really, uh, I like that one. For me, um, I like Rushman also. He would be, you know, anytime you can have the number one pick of the last year's draft there, and you better get him because he's probably going to move pretty quickly. Uh, he, he was one guy that stood out to me. I think if I were to pick another one, man, um, you know, I might go with uh, a pair of Mariners outfield. I'm playing a callus. So not only am I picking two, I'm using my second pick to name two players. It's like but a double callus. Yes, it's a double callus. Callus squared. Um, but uh, uh, I said callus squared. Um, <laughs> I incorporated. <laughs> I was, you know, my drummer was a little late on that one, but um, no, I think yeah, Jared Kelnick and Julio Rodriguez would be two guys that I would really want to see uh, in in the game. And um, anyone who saw Rodriguez in the fall league, uh, and or you know, we got a chance. Jason, and I got a chance to talk to him uh, at the rookie career program, and the personality would be great. Uh, and he and Kelnick are are close, so it would be fun to see the two of them interacting with each other and the other players. So I would putting them as a two-headed outfield prospect monster in the Mariners organization. How about you, Jason? Who would you have wanted to see, look forward to seeing this year? Yeah, I mean, all of those guys are, are obviously, you know, players that I think most fans would want to see. Um, I'm looking through our list here as we're, we're putting together a story on one player from each team that we would have liked to have been seeing this weekend in the Futures game. Um O'Neill Cruz, I think, is a guy that everybody likes to watch for the fact, simple fact that he's a nine-foot-tall shortstop, which I'm not, I'm not sure if that's actually the case now, Jim. I know I, when, when Jim first put him on the Dodgers' top 30 list, he was listed at like what six, was it, Jim? I think it was like 6'4". I remember this. You kept giving me a hard time because I kept sending in addendums to his height every time I wrote about him. And you kept saying he was only 6'4 in the system. And I'm like, but I'm telling you, he's 6'6 six, six now. He's 6'7". Uh, yeah, he was 6'7". He, he's he probably like 6'9 now. He's, he's probably still growing. Yeah, he, he would grow an inch every time you updated his blurb. Well, it's true. It's true because I would ask about him because he's so tall for a shortstop, and then you would that you would never want to give me his uh, his updated height. Just like I just interviewed Brennan Davis, and as Mike Rosenbaum pointed out, there's a uh, Tyson Miller fellow Cubs farmhand tweeted out video of Brennan Davis hitting a home run off of Corey Abbott when they were working out in Arizona, and I think Mike made the comment on our Slack channel about how it looked like Brennan Davis put on weight, and I looked, and I think Brennan Davis is listed officially. At six four, one seventy five, um, and I asked him. I said when I interviewed him, I said, "You know, we were looking at this video, and like, I, it's like you can't really be six four one seventy five anymore." And and Brennan Davis says he's six four two oh eight. So um, you, you need to update that one as well. Um, yeah, I mean, a couple other players that uh, on our list that I'd, I'd be highly interested in in seeing are some of the younger guys and. Riley Green, Christian Robinson, um, C.J. Abrams. Robinson, I actually, I was disappointed last year. Um, I went out to Oregon and, and went to a Hillsboro Hops game, and I was looking forward to getting to see him, and he 
he got promoted like a, less than a week before I got there and I, I just missed him. But, um, you know, some of the lower level guys that haven't had a good chance to see much, um, you know, it's always tricky when we uh, help pick these rosters, you're, you know, you want to get these guys when they're young, but you don't want to get, you know, you have to be careful not to, you don't want to end up having a guy four years in a row. See, I'm going to uh, interject. If that guy's Francisco Lindor, fine. I have no problem with that. If the guy's one of the best prospects in baseball three or four years in a row because he's young, so be it. So sorry to interrupt, but I have extreme vehemence about that opinion. Yeah, no, I know you do. I know you do. Um, I have extreme vehemence that Jim was not sorry for interrupting. <laughs> I rarely am. <laughs> Mute him, Jonathan. <laughs> I do have that power. I know. Yeah, so and I mentioned earlier that the Futures game, now in my mind, is, is very closely tied to the PDP League and High School All-Star game, uh, which, you know, now um, has come to an abrupt halt in its second year due to the coronavirus. Um, but last year... You know, you guys both went out there um, to the league itself and then obviously uh, saw the high school all-star game, which was a culmination of, of that league. And w- what a great opportunity to see these uh, these guys who were in, in the next year's draft class um, all together. And, and um, you guys saw probably just about as, as much of, the, of that league as, as anyone. Um, there you want to talk a little bit about that in general and also about some guys that uh, were missing out on, on seeing, I know we, we saw some of these guys um, recently uh, in the perfect game national showcase, but um, you know, it's a little different than getting to see them for weeks on end at the PDP league. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, one of the, the key things, you know, not even for, for Jim and I, but really more for the scouting industry, you know, that was great about the PDP League is that you know, the showcase circuit is great. And there are events that are over multiple days so you get longer looks. But this was really the first opportunity to get that much information, not only, you know, eyeballs on players, but all the data that came out of it on high school players for that period of time and see how they dealt with you know, the fatigue of it and the constant competition and, 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 and all those sorts of things. So, uh, you know, it's a shame from uh, the standpoint of preparing for the 2021 draft that they don't have that. You know, they have PG national. We'll see if East coast pro showcase is able to take place or any of the other things. But, um, I think that, uh, you know, that first and foremost was, you know, it was a shame and, and the, you know, for it to culminate in that high school all-star game with the home run derby was a ton of fun. Um, you know, I, I think it made it uh, a lot more interesting than just having the, the high school home run derby. And we got to see a lot of the top high school players who got drafted in, in this draft class and, and got a good sense of, of who they were. And, and I guarantee you that teams who are drafting this year use that information since they didn't get to see him this spring. So uh, it takes on even more important for me. I think the guy that I would want to see the most, and again, we don't know who would be there, who would, you know, say yes, who might, you know, who might not 
not go. I mean, Pete Crow Armstrong didn't go to the PDP league last year. He's the exception rather than the rule. Um, but I think the guy that I'd want to see is probably Brady house. Um, is a high schooler from Georgia who, depending on who you ask is a third baseman or a right-handed pitcher. He's, he's a two-way player who's legit both ways. Uh, there's, there's no certainty. And again, no, no one's really seen much of him late and he wasn't at PG national. Um, but for a guy who has that kind of power potential at the plate and that kind of power arm on the mound, I'd like to see him do both things, uh, you know, which the PDP league afforded the opportunity for a lot of guys. I mean, everyone knew Robert Hassel was going to be a hitter for, for this draft, but he pitched and he threw well uh, in, in, in the PDP league. So, uh, but to see a guy who, who is a, perhaps a legitimate two-way guy in that kind of setting, that would be a lot of fun for me. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, yeah, I'll second all that. I mean, it was really nice. You know, usually I see the high school guys in person. You see a couple guys at the home run derby at the all-star game. And then I do the Under Armour game here in Chicago. But, you know, getting long looks at guys and then seeing them again in Cleveland and seeing them later in Chicago, I felt like it was, you know, not just, you know, as Jonathan said, I mean, the evaluators too. But for us, like a chance to really get to see these guys more than we usually do. Um, you know, House would be a guy who, who, who I'd be interested in seeing. You know, I think another guy who I'd be really interested in seeing would have been Braylon Bishop, you know, Arkansas high school kid who might be the the, the best all-around tools uh, in the high school class, you know, center fielder with a lot of speed, um, power potential. Um, he'd be interesting. And then just to see, you know, Jonathan mentioned PG National. I, I would have been interested, you know, Chase Burns really, you know, you know enhanced his stock, uh, you know, by getting up to 99 miles an hour at the PG National. So there would have been, a lot of buzz going into the PDP about, okay, what's he going to do? Is he going to keep this going? I would have been really interested in seeing him. Were there particular guys last year who really put their names on the radar at the PDP league or were most of those guys already pretty well established and, and that's why they were there? That's a good question. Cause I'll be honest. I, I don't dig too much into the high school guys for the next year until we're done you know, with this year's draft. Uh, but I, I think like, like Nolan McLean was a guy who wasn't super highly regarded, who looked really good down there. And I, I just think his, his price tag didn't line up with, you know, where he was going to go. You know, I, I mean, Hassel was a guy, I don't know if people were saying, Oh, Robert Hassel is going to go in the first round, but I mean, he was a guy when he got there. Mick Abel was a guy before he got there. Yeah, I think Hassel went from being like a, oh, he's an interesting high school hitter to maybe he's the best high school hitter um, from from there. I think the only other guy that stands out maybe was A.J. Vukovic. Um, you know, not that he went super high in the draft, although he, you know, he, he, he got paid, you know, an overslot bonus to sign with the, the Diamondbacks, you know, the high school kid from Wisconsin, really good basketball player, very athletic, ton of raw power. You know, I think it was the first time that he was able to show that he um, belonged, at least in the conversation among some of the top high school guys. You know, I found my my rosters from the PDP League last year, and there are a few guys who want. There are two guys I'm just looking at here who were first round picks who were not consensus top fifty high school players going into this. I'm just scanning this a little bit more. Tyler Soderstrom 
was a guy who stood out as one of the better bats there and wound up going in the first round this year. And then Carson Tucker also. Neither of those guys were on the top 50. Um, I, I had PG's rankings and prep baseball reports rankings as well. Neither of those guys were, were top 50 guys who wound up going uh, you know, in the first round. So I, I guess there were guys who, who popped up. Kyle Harrison, who isn't official yet, but is going to get a $2.5 million bonus from the Giants. That's been reported. Um, he was also a guy who was not a, a consensus top 50 high school prospect. So I, I guess it was a mix. I mean, most of the guys were highly regarded, but there were also some guys that, that, that took big steps forward too. Jim, you mentioned uh, a deal that has been reported. Um, there have now been, at this point, out of 160 players drafted, 140 signed, I believe you said, before we came on. Yeah, um, officially signed, yep. Yep, so 20, 20 remaining, uh, two of which are first-rounders. And I know we, we talked about this last week, and you've said this over and over, uh, both on the podcast and, and I think on, on Twitter as well. But you're confident that every player drafted this year is going to sell. Yeah. I mean, I have, I mean, usually, you know, we're almost a month after the draft. We're about four weeks, almost exactly. And usually you start to get a little bit of rumblings of, Oh, there might be an issue with this guy's physical or, you know, I remember last year, I can't remember the name. I know the Cubs didn't sign. There were only two guys that didn't sign last year, but the Cubs had a, a junior college player. They didn't sign the ninth or 10th round. I've already forgotten his name, but you know, it was one of those where you're asking around, you're like, Hey, are you guys going to sign him soon? And you start here. Well, we might not get that one done type of thing. And, and you know, I don't know about you, Jonathan, but just from talking to teams, talking to agents, I haven't heard anyone give any inkling that somebody's in danger of not signing. Yeah, I haven't I haven't heard any of that. I, th- I, I, you know, could there be a guy, you know, that last minute? And who knows? You know, uh, you mentioned the junior college guy. And I guess Beck Way hasn't signed yet. Probably have to be over. Could something go awry there? I guess. I, I'm I, and I'm just picking his name literally out of a hat because you mentioned a junior college guy who didn't sign a year ago, and I noticed that he hadn't. He's one of the twenty unsigned. But I, I actually would be surprised if they don't all sign. So Nick York's signing uh, was just reported. And um, Jim, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about a trend that you noticed this year and teams going all in for guys who they really liked, but hadn't had a chance to really show what they had to the industry at large this spring because they just simply weren't able to play. Um, but guy, you know, York probably, I don't know if because he went in the first round is the, is the prime example of that, but he was, he was at least ranked. Whereas a, a lot of the guys on the list that you put together here weren't even on our top 200, but ended up, uh, you know, getting paid well and, and having teams go all in on them. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think Nick York is the poster boy. Cause it's, you know, one thing, I mean, there's a lot of speculation, with things getting shut down, what's going to happen? There's a lot of talk. And the guys who are going to get hurt the most are the high school players who don't get a chance to go out. Maybe they had something to prove, and they aren't getting a chance to prove it. And and it, it seemed like there were about 10 or, or so guys who were not 
consensus top prospects who teams just decide, you know what? We only had two or three weeks, but we were on these guys. We did work early on them. And maybe the rest of the industry never got a chance to catch up, but we're still going to jump on them. I mean, I know the Red Sox viewed York. I mean, there, there were a, a couple of reasons they took him where they did. You know, yes, it helped that he wasn't going to be full slot. Then they could, you know, they didn't have a second round pick. They could have extra money to spend on their third round pick, which they turned into Blaze Jordan. Uh, yes, to, to, to meet his price tag, they weren't, even if he had lasted until the third round, which probably they didn't think was going to happen, he wasn't going to be signable in the third round. Their slot there is under $700,000. But the, the main reason they took him is they just loved his bat. They thought it was one of the best bats in the draft uh, in the high school class. You know, he's a guy who hadn't played the field a whole lot because he had major shoulder surgery, didn't do a lot of showcases because he was recovering from that. Um, but they ultimately were convicted. Look, we believe this guy is one of the best bats in the draft. And even if, if everybody else doesn't see it, we're taking him. And I, and I think the team that did the most extreme example of this was the Rangers. You know, they, they, they took a, you know, a college performer, Justin Foscue, very solid performer at Mississippi State. And then they took four high school guys, only two of whom we had ranked on our top 200. They took Evan Carter in the second round, signed him for 1.25 million. He's a projectable athlete who, who, you know, isn't nearly physical maturely mature at 6'4", 190, but they really like what they think he can become. Um, to Roby, a, a high school pitcher from Florida, they gave 775,000 to in the third round. That was a little over slot. They went, you know, 1.2 million for Dylan McLean in the fourth round an Oregon high school lefty who was in the mid eighties at the area codes last summer, but they really liked his pitchability and his projectability. You know, he was up to 92 in workouts this spring. And, and then the fifth round, they, they took another guy who we didn't have ranked like Evan Carter and Thomas Segisi for $800,000. He's a, he's a high school infielder who can really hit too. And, you know, I know I, the Rangers and Red Sox are both my teams. I know the Rangers really like their guys and they feel like if this had been a normal spring, these guys would have emerged. Um, and, and would have been highly ranked and more teams would have been on them. And they look at it like, look, we got four really good high school players. You know, other people didn't know about them. Doesn't mean they're not good. And it was, it was just interesting to me. Like I said, I came up with about 10 players. I thought kind of fit that bill of teams being, you know, all in on, even if you didn't get a lot of looks at them this spring and they weren't consensus industry darlings. Yeah. The, uh, the Rangers, Foscue was number 32 on our top 200. Uh, Roby, 144. Dylan McLean, 195. And, and Carter and Segisi, as you mentioned, both unranked. Um, and you, you said you thought that was probably the extreme. And if you, if you look at it, if you just apply, uh, like we've done with prospect points in our prospect rankings, if you pl- apply, if you give the number one player on the list 200 points, number two, 199, all the way down to one point for number 200. If you, if you do it like that, the Rangers um, did, in fact, by a wide margin, uh, have the fewest draft prospect points, um, followed by the Red Sox and Braves, um, Astros, who had uh, a shortage of picks, and then the Angels and Yankees. Yeah, yeah. And again, I mean, it's, like I said, you, we can argue – like, should they have taken those guys? Should they pay them that much? You know, and, and we'll see. I mean, it'll take time to figure that out. But I kind of admire the the conviction in that, you know, that they believed in the guys they believed in. You know, we saw it 
you know, the Cubs took Cohen Moreno, who should have been the best high school pitcher, best high school prospect probably North Carolina this spring, but he didn't pitch. And they still had seen enough of him to buy in, um, even though you know he really hadn't pitched much since last summer. And the Potters did it with a, another projectable pitcher from, from North Carolina and Jagger Haynes. I know, Jonathan, you had um, – and I don't know if he was on your radar much for the draft. You know, the Rockies did it with Case Williams, who's from Colorado, a guy in their backyard that they felt they knew pretty well. Um, the Reds did a backyard guy, too, with Mac Wainwright, who had injuries and didn't get to do a lot of the showcase circuit, an Ohio high school outfielder, and they got him. So I just did – like I said, I think there were about eight or ten of these guys, but it was kind of a – an like so in the end, these guys who didn't get a chance to prove themselves – I mean, yeah, there, there probably were other guys who, who would have emerged that we – don't know about but I thought it was interesting the teams in the end decided you know what we really like this guy and even if we didn't get a full spring and everybody else doesn't know how good this guy is we don't care we're taking him and we'll pay him um and these guys got paid pretty well I, I haven't counted up yet I keep meaning to but and I probably will at some point soon the, the number of high school players who are signing in the first five rounds this year I think is very comparable to the number of high school players who signed last year the you know the other yeah, guys who went to school there are guys who go to school every year out of high school, but I don't think the shortened season, uh, you know, kept teams from paying high school players. And I think roughly a normal amount of, of top high school players signed out of the draft like they would have if we didn't have the coronavirus. You know, I think one of the sort of interesting things, and you mentioned Case Williams, who was not really on my radar, uh, but one of the things about the backyard guys is that you certainly it's, it's easier to know more about them presumably. Uh, one of the things that's interesting is a lot of these guys we talked about needed to get paid over slot. Uh, you, you know, Dylan McLean, uh, who was in my area in terms of how we split up the draft, you know, yeah, had, went well over slot. And I remember talking to an area scout who was really hoping he'd go on to college uh, because he was one who thought he, he needed it, but he's you know super projectable lefty. Case Williams signed for below slot as a high school player in the fourth round. Uh, so they had firm knowledge that this was a kid who really wanted to uh, wanted to go play pro ball rather than go on to school. And uh, without knowing what his college commitment was or anything like that, I do wonder if uh, the cloud that's hanging over college baseball because of the pandemic, um, you know, played into that for some of the high schoolers making decisions. But Williams really stands out for me because – uh, he's a guy who didn't need to get, you know, paid more in order to forego college. So this year's draft was, for obvious reasons, or one main obvious reason, a weird draft. Only five rounds, 160 picks. I want to talk about another weird draft. Jim and Jonathan, you know where I'm going with this. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you, based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. 
That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. Um, so we have uh, done a few different drafts where we've given ourselves a set of parameters and um, drafted teams accordingly. I think for all of them, we've we've drafted what eight position players and a, a right-handed and left-handed pitcher. I think I think we've done that for for all of them. Um, yeah, one of one of them as an example, we went through and and uh, you know everyone who had been drafted in the past was it twenty years? We went we went back to two thousand um, and we looked up the signing bonuses for anyone who had made the big leagues and had positive war. Um, that was the overall draft pool. And then we gave ourselves a, a set bonus pool, which I can't remember what that total was now, 10 million. All right. And, uh, and then, and then drafted our teams accordingly. Uh, for this one, we thought we would do, an all-time top 10 prospect draft. So going back to our first top 50 list in 2004, um, we took the top 10 players on each list, preseason list only, and we had to draft a team, same thing, eight position players, a right-handed pitcher and a left-handed pitcher. And we also... Limit our, limited ourselves to one pick per slot. Um, and that made things weird. Um, so what what made this tricky was there were only four first basemen available in total. So everyone had to have a first baseman. Um, I don't know what we would have done if, if any of these guys had been ranked in the same slot. We, we would have had to figure that out but as it as it was well, we just would have had two of them would have we you just two of us would have had to take guys in the same slot that's that's true word. that's true um so as it was we had only four first basemen have ever been ranked among the top 10 prospects in baseball on on our list on mlb.com dating back to 2004 those were eric cosmer was number eight overall in 2011 justin smoke was number nine overall in 2010 Prince Fielder was number uh, 10 in 2005 and Casey Kochman was number five in 2005. So we knew going in that everybody was going to get one of those first basemen. And as it turned out, and Jim, you, you said this during the draft that this draft ended up being as much about not getting boxed into having to take a particular player. It was, it was almost as much about that as it was about actually drafting the best player available at any point. Yeah. I mean, that was the way I looked at it. And I mean, I, I, I pulled kind of a BS move, except I alerted everybody that it was going to happen before the draft to, it could happen to any of us. But I asked like, what's the, you know, what happens if you wind up in a position where you can only draft one of the first base? Because like I took, I mean, we obviously you're looking at guys based on how good they are relative to their position and how good they are relative to their slot. So I think I picked, did I pick second? Is that right? Mike got the first pick because he always gets the first pick. I think I picked second. <laughs> well, it's my fault because I even complained about it. And then I chose the random numbers and Mike still got the first pick. So I have only myself to blame. But but anyway, the, the, the number five slot was not a good slot. 
And also Casey Kochman was in the number five slot and he was going to be the worst player who wound up anybody's team. So I took Justin Verlander. Like I thought when you combine slot versus position, he was the second best guy on the board. And as we went a couple of rounds, like I realized like the, the, the prize as it were of the first baseman was Prince Fielder. Like that was the guy you wanted um, because a, because he was the best of the guys and B the 10 slot was the least, I think favorable slot. I mean, there were some good players, but you know, like if you wind up with Casey Kochman, you're passing on Verlander, you're passing on Glaber Torres, who was easily the best second baseman. So anyway, and, and I mean, it was kind of a BS move, except I alerted everybody this could happen before the draft. When we got to the fourth round of the draft, I realized at that point, if I took Troy Tulowitzki, who was in the a number nine overall prospect, then that would preclude me from taking uh, I think it was Justin Smoke, and then you guys had to let me draft Prince Fielder. And then similarly, what Jonathan did, which was a good move, even though Smoke isn't that great, if Jonathan, if I think, Jason, you needed a first baseman at that point, or maybe Mike did, somebody could have taken Smoke and then forced Jonathan to take Casey Kochman, which would have then forced him to use Glaber Torres at a different slot and screwed up, potentially screwed up his draft. So it was, it was very goofy. And I mean, I will say I basically made all my picks after the first two more based on, I don't want to get stuck with Matt Weeders behind the plate or, or Ricky Weeks at second base. I mean, I took you on Mankata in the third round because I, I, I didn't like the other Mike's lineup here. What's that? I said, you're just, you're just rattling off Mike's lineup here. Yeah, seriously. Well, he, Mike did, according to the trademarked Callis uh, future war projections, Mike had three of the worst four players that anybody drafted. Man, he's not even on. Like, well, but it's true. He in, did. He got the three. The guy stepped four. in to fill in for me last week, and this is how you treat him? Mike, That's why we didn't talk about this last week. Yeah, Jim, Jim wouldn't talk about this to his face last week. Yeah, that's weak. To his ear. Um yeah, and uh, I mean, and I, listen, I'm saying this from a position of, of comfort and knowing that that I clearly had the best draft. I don't even think it's close. I think I think we all agreed that Jonathan did very well in this draft. I, I Jonathan, yeah, he did very well because what Jonathan also avoided getting boxed in, and was it was it was fortunate too because it wound up nicely. He was able to get Zach Reinke, who was the second best right-handed pitcher in the ninth round. I, I had Jonathan as the winner by almost a hundred WAR. In terms of two date accumulated war, I had me edging him barely in terms of future projected war because I had. Of course, you did. Well, I mean, I mean, if I you don't like your draft, that's convenient. Yeah, you know, even when you project future war, it's especially tricky with these younger players. And Jim, I don't know, you know, how you went about projecting war for guys who haven't even played in the big leagues yet because we have, I'm looking at the rosters now, Mike has Joe Adele in his uh, outfield. I ended up taking Mackenzie Gore as my left-handed pitcher. Um, you know, even guys who only played a season or two. You had, Lux. Yeah, you had Lux, who might end up being the best second baseman. Yeah, well, five of my guys had less than 10 war, too. I mean, I had a bunch of young guys with Acuna and Mankata and Guerrero and Robles and Rutschman. I I mean, look, there's no precise way to do it. I didn't go crazy. I kind of looked at what players in their ranking slots had accrued and what looked realistic. Um, but, 
you know, just a week. I mean, like for instance, you know, I like your Francisco Lindor pick a lot, Jason. I mean, he, he only has 28 war right now, but like, I don't look at this as like Francisco Lindor's valued at 28 war. Cause that's his total to date. Yeah. I think you got to look at some of these, you know, Francisco Lindor has 28 war and, uh, you know, I'm trying to find an example. I guess there's, you know, Prince Fielder has 23.6 war, but Francisco Lindor is a lot better player than Prince Fielder because he's not anywhere near done. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's worth pointing out because, and then I remember when we did some of these other drafts where we kind of went into it, not having discussed or having done any of these previously. And Jim, you were looking much more at future war. And I, I know I was looking more at current or, you know, for the players who were no longer playing total war. And so it, it was harder. I, I kept an eye on future war more in this one. So even though I ended up with uh, Maurer uh, and Colby Rasmus, I kind of got stuck as my last outfielder. Uh, those are the only two guys who are not active. Well, you so took Blaine Torres with your first pick. I mean, I did right. So I, I started off that way, but that was a that was a position scarcity pick, slot scarcity pick. That was a it was a combo platter of he'll be my second baseman and likely my number. You know, and he had he had rank flexibility because he ranked number three and number five. So one, I knew that I could one position flexibility. Yes. Yeah, he's Yeah, but he's the tricky thing was I think if he if I think if he wound up at three, he was only a shortstop at three. There was something goofy, which is why you had to take smoke when you did. If if what? Yeah, because if if you wound up using uh Torres, he, he was not ranked at all three infield positions both times. So the year he was ranked number three, he was a shortstop only, and that would have really messed you up. I will freely admit right now that I did not know that. <laughs> I think I mentioned it to Jason at one point in the middle of the draft that Mike could really no. like wreak havoc on your draft if he if he I, punitive that is weird because I remember when I talked to you about first baseman and that's I ended up taking smoke in the fifth round because I knew that while it didn't matter that much between say smoke and Casey Kotchman, other than the fact that smoke is still playing and there's a chance that he could accrue more war you know taking that into account. But it was more, as you pointed out, Jim, like if I didn't take him, then I was I was going to be stuck with what I wanted to do with the rest of my with the rest of my draft. Yeah. yeah, And you know what I was going to say? Have you guys noticed when we do these things, it doesn't like I mean, I know it now because we've done three of these. But it's like when we're talking, when we're doing like prospects, like top 10 by position. We never have trouble with outfielders. But when you're doing these teams and you have to find three outfielders for four teams, like the outfielder, the, the pickings get very slim very quickly like when we did our um i think it was what the the maybe it was the the top 10 maybe actually it's both the previous drafts there just aren't ever 12 outfielders that you really want and it becomes it becomes tricky trying to get them all yeah and another another thing about that is regardless of what the parameters of the draft are mike trout goes number one every time (laughs) Mike, mike well mike traded me the pick and won the drafts but yes and and as well, he should. I mean, I think I, I mean, again, I mean, we all had our, our, our systems, but I had like the I, I basically looked at how much better you were than the players at your position and at your rank slot. And I combined them into to give me like a you know, the number doesn't mean anything. But like basically Mike Trout as the number one overall prospect was a combination between rank and position, 157 war better than the replacement level guy 
Mike Trout is number three overall prospect was 152 war better than the next better best replacement guy. And the third guy was Justin Verlander, who I took second, and he was 90. So, I mean, Justin Verlander was barely half the value of Mike Trout, either version of Mike Trout. Jim, I know that you and I have both used this tool, and I think, Jonathan, you may have used it a little bit as well in some of these uh, latter drafts, but we used a Bill James uh, stat projection tool just to give us kind of a ballpark idea on the future war of some of these players. And the crazy thing about Trout is, you know, as good as he has been and, uh, you know, he's he's so much better than just about any player available in terms of career war already. If you use that tool to project his his career war, he's barely even halfway over, you know, over halfway there. Yeah, um, and I even discount him a little bit because I didn't want to, like, go too nuts for, for future war. But, like, the, the number I came up, if you don't discount Trout, I came up with 134 war. Is that what you had? Yeah, I had 136. Okay, in any case, that would make him the ninth or tenth best player in baseball history. But you're right. I mean, that's still a ton of war left on the table. And I even I discount guys a little bit. So I, I discounted him to 120 war, which would still make him the 15th best player of all time between Ted Williams and Pete Alexander. So um, 136 is only ninth or tenth best all time. Yeah, you well, I, I think I think in the older days. Because you had more, the competition was less good. It was easier to have more wins above replacement, if that makes sense. Because the first, the first three guys are Babe Ruth has 183, Walter Johnson has 165, and Cy Young has 164. You know, that stat should be W-A-W-R, wins above white replacement. Well, there you go. And then I'll say Barry Bonds is fourth at 163. It goes Bonds 163, Mays 156, Cobb 151, Aaron 143, Clemens 139, Tris Speaker 134, and Hannes Wagner 131. That is your top 10. All right, let's um, let's talk a little bit about another series of stories that uh, we've been doing, which is to rank the farm top top 10 farm systems, position by position. Uh, we talked a little bit about this last week when we were on uh, middle infielders. Uh, we have since done left-handed pitchers, and the final position is right-handed pitchers. Um, we can talk a little bit about both of those individually, um, but also want to talk about how the teams fared on these lists overall. Um, and I should have... I should have not sent you the link to this spreadsheet and I should have quizzed you on this to see how much you're. If it makes you feel any good, I didn't look at the link. So. Oh, I did. Oh, uh, wait, no, I didn't. I mean, I didn't. I have no idea. <laughs> um, so the, the left-handed pitchers list, uh, the Padres top of the list um, due in large part, obviously to McKinley Gore. The Royals are next up on the list followed by the A's, Rays, and Cardinals. Um, the A's have the A's are the only team that have two of the top ten left-handed pitching prospects in baseball, and Jesus Lazardo uh, and A.J. Puck. Um, the Royals, to me, are, are the most interesting of, of those five teams just because 
it seems like they built that left-handed depth quickly and, and just primarily over the past couple of years. Yeah, I mean, it, that's that's definitely true. I think it started with that, what, the 2018 draft uh, when they just loaded up on on pitching uh, from both sides. Uh, you know, so Daniel Lynch, who's on our top 100 and the top 10 left-handed pitching list. Chris Bubik is, uh, is, is really interesting. Austin Cox is a guy who was kind of a later round guy that people don't talk about as much, but I know the Royals really love after talking to uh, them uh, in the shortened spring training, uh, God, that's about seven years ago. Um, and then they just added Asa Lacey. And, uh, you know, so so that that just adds another high-end arm to what's already there. And, and that doesn't even count because it's, you know, just talking about the lefties, but the, the right-handers there as well. It would be interesting if we were to do, like, one more to, to combine – just best pitching where they would land on that list because there's, there's a lot, a lot to like there. Yeah. Funny. You said, uh, you know, if we did one more to combine them, as you were saying that I was in the process of going through our left-handed and right-handed pitchers, top tens to see which teams uh, appear on both lists. And there are three of them, unless I'm missing one. Oh, no, there are four of them. Uh, the Padres, number one on the left-handed pitchers list, number seven on the right-handed pitchers list. Marlins are number seven on the left-handed pitchers list, number two on the right-handed pitchers list. Tigers, number three on the right-handed pitchers list, and number 10 on the left-handed pitchers list. And the Rays are on both lists at number four with for lefties and number eight for righties. If you had to take the pitching prospects of of any one of those teams or or maybe another one that's not on both lists who would you guys take i think i would take the tigers i just i just really like the front end guys with with casey mize and matt manning and Tarek scoobal and i've always liked alex fiedo although i really liked what the marlins did in this year's draft and their system's getting really really interesting on the pitching side and on the hitting side too yeah, that's a that's a tough one. I I, I might lean Marlins, um, but uh, you shouldn't. Yeah, I don't know the Ray. There's some 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 very good choices. I think you know, one thing you, you mentioned the the Rays being on on both lists, like the the track record they've had in getting pitchers to the big leagues. So maybe you know, yeah. I, you could flip a coin with some of these teams. I'm hemming and hawing here, but I don't know that there's one that really, really jumps out for for me that, that I would say, yes, that, that they're the best pitching combination. You know, the Royals are interesting because, you know, they're number two and lefty. They didn't make the right-handed list, but I think they would make a combined list um, without doing any deep research. How do these How do these two lists match up with – how you guys specifically voted for these teams. And Jonathan, I think maybe you didn't vote last week yep. since you were gone on Correct. the left-handers, but um, so maybe you could, you could talk about the right-handers and Jim, you, you could speak to, to both of these lists. About how they. About how up. the lists, about how the lists match up to how you voted for them. And if they're, if they don't match up with how you 
voted for them. Why did you have? Okay, I'm, I'm looking real quick. I don't think they were much different in terms of the lefties. Uh, wow, looks like I had the same top five, so I don't think there was a big difference. Um, you know what? I the one I actually had the Giants seventh, and they didn't make the list. I, I, I which is fine. I think they were the next team, but they have Seth Corey who's at the end of our top 100 who re really came on in low class a last year. And then they also had two guys out of this year's draft and, and Kyle Harrison, who's the best healthy high school lefty in the draft. And, and then Nick Swinney um, who had a really nice spring in North Carolina state. So that would have been my big difference. I think on the, on the left-handed side, um, on the right-handed side, I don't think I was too different. I had, hold on. I'm just, clicking too many screens up. I had Dodgers, Marlins. I had the Tigers three ahead of the Blue Jays, but I mean, that's close. Mariners. Um, I think it was very similar to what I had. I, yeah, I mean, I had the Yankees at 10 and they just missed the list. So, I mean, nothing too different, honestly. Yeah. For me, just for, um, for the right-handers, there's nothing was too uh too much different um i think i had the i i had the tigers at two um and jim and mike had them at four so middle ground is, is totally fine um i think the teams that i had in my top 10 that didn't make it um were the phillies was that it? Hold on. I just had it up and it's funny. Uh, yeah. I think the Phillies were the only team that I didn't, uh, that I had in the top 10 that didn't make it, but I had them close to the end. So it was not, it wasn't anything that like, that was way off base. Um, I actually had the pirates a couple slots lower, but I think I was kind of offsetting what I think in my head is a hometown bias. Um, but that that's about it. And the Phillies I liked, I mean, it was mostly because of, of Spencer Howard, you know, was, um, but they have a couple of other arms in the top 15 and then they added Nick Abel in the draft. So they, they were, they, they were the, the back end. Of the top. So that right-handed pitchers list goes like this. Um, the Dodgers are number one, Marlins two, Tigers three, Blue Jays four, Mariners, five, followed by the Pirates, Padres, Rays, Braves, and Astros. Um, the Dodgers right-handed pitching prospects are headlined by Dustin May. Uh, but what is it to you guys that sets the Dodgers apart from, from these other teams that are right behind them? Well, it's not just Dustin May. I mean, I, I mean he's obviously the most famous, but, you know, Josiah Gray – is a guy who was really coming on last year and emerged as one of the better right-handers in baseball. You know, they got greater all as part of the offshoot of the, of the um, Mookie Betts trade, Tony Gonsolin, who, who's been to the big leagues already and never quite makes our top 100. Um, but he always seems like we kind of discuss him being on the fringes of it. I mean, he was a senior sign that they've done a great job with. And, and then, you know, with the draft, they just loaded up some more too. I mean, they got, Bobby Miller in the first round, Landon Knack in the second round, Clayton Beater in the supplemental second round, Gavin Stone maybe didn't play as big a role in this, but I mean, Miller, Knack, and Beater, 
in a normal year, I mean, <laughs> this is a lot of ifs. In a normal year, if if Knack and Beater, who didn't have a lot of track record but looked great this spring, do what they did all spring, and let's say they're they're 21, those are those are both easy first rounders. I mean, they got three guys with first round stuff in this year's draft, so I think that's what put them at at number one for me. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. It was the combination of like sort of the elite level guys at the top and and depth, and then the, the fact that they added. Uh, I mean, just, you know, Miller and Miller was 26th on our top draft, top 200 and Beater was 51. Uh, and largely because of that lack of track record that, uh, that Jim was talking about, he would have probably moved up at this been a normal spring and we needed to move guys based on their performance. Uh, so, you know, they got two guys ranked pretty high, uh, in, in the draft and that's not even mentioning, uh, knack at all. So, it, you know, the, the sort of rich got richer in that. Uh, made it pretty clear that they were the top team. Yeah, they four of their top six prospects on our top 30 list are right-handed pitchers, May, Gray, Gretel, and, and Gonsolin. Jim, uh, these 2020 draftees, when they get slotted in, are they going to have – are the Dodgers going to have possibly five, six – seven of their top 10 prospects as, as right-handers or these guys, or do you think these guys are going to slot in a little lower? I've already done a little bit of work on that. Bobby Miller might crack the top 10. The, the problem is, is that the Dodgers are just ridiculously loaded because, you know, May, Gray and Great are all, all in the top 100. And then Tony Gonsolin's number six on the list, their top, top, non-top 100 guy. And, but then like the next two guys on the list are Cody Hosey and Michael Bush who were first round picks in last year's draft. And they were both better prospects than Bobby Miller coming out of the draft. And then the next two guys on the list right now are Diego Cartaya and Luis Rodriguez, who each was one of the very best international prospects in the last two summers. So, you know, Bobby Miller might crack the top 10. He might wind up at 11. I think Beater, because the track record's shorter, I would probably put behind all four of those hitters. Um, but their, their system's just, just crazy, ridiculously deep. Yeah, and so many of these guys are major league ready or al- already been in the big leagues. Um, you know, several several of these right-handers will, will likely come off the list um, relatively soon after we start playing baseball again, um, which will free up a little space in the, the top 30. But I guess it's no surprise that, that the Dodgers um, – lead this list and fared arguably better than any other team in these top 10 rankings. They appeared on four of the six lists that we did. We did, we ranked uh, farm systems uh, by their catching prospects, middle infield prospects, corner infield prospects, outfield prospects, and then left-handed and right-handed pitching prospects. Um, The Dodgers, like I said, were on four, out of those six lists and they're number one on one of the lists, three on another five and six on the other two. There are only two other teams that appeared on that many lists. Actually one team that appeared on more was maybe surprisingly the Tigers. Um, and we talked about the strength of their pitching, um, but they you know, they were number 10 on three of the lists, catchers, 
um, outfielders and, and left-handed pitching prospects. The Padres were also on four lists, but I mean, we talk about this, we talk about the Dodgers all the time and how they, you know, year in and year out have one of the best farm systems while meanwhile managing to uh, also succeed at the big league level. Yeah, it is amazing. I mean, this is just another sign that, that points to, to that. I think this would be an interesting thing uh, to keep a hold of. And Jason, as I know you do, you, you archive all this and look at this again, you know, over the next couple of years. Not that this is the be all end all for farm rankings, because, uh, you know, we look at the entire system and depth and things like that. But I think this is a useful tool just in terms of where teams are at with top level talent um, in, in a way that we haven't really looked at it before. All right, guys, <clears throat> we need to wrap up here, but quickly, I wanted to get your rookie of the year picks uh, from each of you, each league. We've done a couple different things on rookie of the year projections, but this was back uh, months ago. Um, a lot has changed since then. I don't know whether much has changed in terms of who the leading candidates are um, to be rookie of the year in each league, but um, why don't you guys give us your, your rookie of the year picks? Well, I don't think much has changed yet. Obviously, if players opt out or get sick or whatever, and you know, then there's opportunities for guys that might change. But, but to me, I'd still go with the same two guys I would have gone with, you know, six months ago, and that would be Luis Robert in the American League with the White Sox, and Gavin Lux in the National League with the Dodgers. Um, I, I mean, those. I mean, not that we're necessarily, you know, like always do great picking rookie of the year before the season, but I, I don't know. Those feel like pretty obvious picks to me. How about you, Jonathan? Yeah. 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 I feel like I should just pick different, different names. So, so I will, even if I largely, uh, largely agree. So I think for the American, for the national league, I'm going to pick. So I'm thinking now the only thing that's different is it's like short, shorter amount of time. So like, could a, a starting pitcher have a good couple of months and then win the award as, you know, so I'm going to pick Mitch Keller. I'm going to be a homer for this one um, and pick Mitch Keller for the national league rookie of the year, because he's going to be in the rotation. Um, he's going to get a chance to pitch and I think he's going to throw well enough. So that's, uh, that, that's, that's my pick. Boy, in the American League, I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna pick Sean Murphy of the A's. Uh, he's gonna do enough behind the plate, uh, both sides of the ball, to to uh, to show that he deserves the American League Rookie of the Year. Both uh, the the defense is gonna stand out, and then he's gonna hit enough for him to to, to capture the award. You didn't want to go reliever against the field. I did not want to go reliever against the field. I know there is a movement uh, within our ranks uh, of people thinking because of that shortened season that there'd be relievers. You know, I think if there was a reliever who you like, like you knew was going to be closing games, like if you could tell me Hunter Harvey is going to be the Orioles closer all year, 
then maybe I would say he has a chance. But right now, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't see that happening. I'll pick the field. Orioles closer for rookie of the year. That would be a good one. Yeah. <laughs> hey, sometimes closers for uh, a not good team. His father, for instance, put up some, put up some very good numbers because he'll get a chance to save every single win. Now I don't know how many there that will be in a, in a shortened season. So I, I mentioned before that we we've done a couple things on uh, rookies of the year. We we did a a story where we identified the top rookie of the year candidate for each team, and then uh, we also did as as part of a, a larger poll. Uh, we polled executives on a number of things, but one of them, one of the questions we asked was which prospect will contribute the most in 2020. And I hadn't really realized how. American League heavy that list was until Jonathan, you were just uh, looking for your National League pick, and I was looking at at this list. And uh, when we polled executives, and and we talked about this a little bit before the podcast started, but we got several dozen responses, um, and the players that they identified in in order of the percentage of votes that they got, Gavin Lux. Uh, by a pretty wide margin, got 35% of the votes. We asked which prospect will contribute the most in 2020. Gavin Lux, Jesus Lazardo got 19% of the votes. Brendan McKay got 15%. Joe Adele got 8%, as did Sean Murphy and uh, Lewis Robert. And uh, Bobby Dahlbeck and Mackenzie Gore each got 4%. And I, I, I wonder how different that would be now or even would have been a week later because Robert signed his extension, I think, within a week of, of the poll being done. And I have to think that he will probably get a, a considerably larger percentage had it been done after that had happened and he sort of solidified a, a spot in Chicago. Yeah, I think that that's pretty fair. Um, that, that would make sense to me. He has 100% of my vote, Jason. 100% of my vote. All right, we'll, we'll look back on this uh, at the conclusion of, of this season. God willing. Um, okay, that's going to do it for this edition of the Pipeline Podcast. For Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, I'm Jason Ratliff, and we will talk to you again. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com slash MLB. GetRoman.com slash MLB. Next week.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.